Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, a special guest, Josh Lawrence from Great Commission Ministries, is preaching a message called A Call to Nonconformity, and the scripture is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Let me jump right into it. I have so much to say, and I was only given 15 minutes, which is a good amount of time. So let me get right into Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is where we left off last summer when I was here, (laughs) in case you don't remember. Um, And last time I was here, we talked about walking in the authority of Jesus Christ. We didn't make it past that. And if to do a proper exposition of this passage is to talk about God's authority, um, to talk about discipleship, baptism, sound doctrine, and the presence of Jesus Christ, or Another way of saying it is us manifesting the nature of God to the world who lives in us. That is a proper exposition. It it, it takes me about three hours to do it. I'm not doing that today. We talked about walking in the authority of Christ. I gave you three reasons last time why I think are three good reasons why people, well, there are three bad reasons why people don't share Christ on a regular basis to their friends, colleagues, and family members, which we're definitely called to at least them, if not to the strangers that we meet all the time. But we could agree to at least them. The statistics are out. They're um, not good. Uh, You know, the, the governments have talked about mandates the last few years. They've talked about the mask mandate. I'm not here to talk about my opinion on that, but I will say God has given us mandates that are a lot higher than a mask mandate, and that is the Great Commission. It's not a choice. It's not optional. I just learned that 89% of senior pastors across America and Protestant churches believe that world missions is a mandate. It's non-negotiable. And only 49% of their members believe it is a non-negotiable command mandate. That each person in the body of Christ in some form or another needs to participate in, needs to obey God in this. We talked last time about three reasons why people do not. I talked to you about it's just against their will. It's uncomfortable. People are geared, especially in the Western world and in, in America, where America is unbearably affluent in our finances, that it's just uncomfortable for them to talk about Christ with others. It's not that they don't want to necessarily, It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasurable. And how do we overcome that? We overcome our will by obeying God's will. 
We talked about self-righteousness will prevent us from sharing the gospel. And we discussed Luke chapter 10 with the lawyer who wanted to know what he must do to be saved. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was going down the direction of you can't be saved apart from me, apart from God. But he answers uh, this gentleman in the guy saying, who's my neighbor? A very interesting statement. He gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan or the story, whatever is believed. Um, some believe it is actual an event. Others believe it's a parable. Nevertheless, it is a soteriological story or parable. It's, a, it's about salvation, not about being nice to people. It's you can identify people who are saved in many ways, but one really evident way that you can identify, identify people who are saved are how do they treat their enemies? It's easy to treat your children with love. There is a natural affection, a natural storge, the Greeks called it, towards your children. But seeing Christ living in others it will manifest on how Christ treated his enemies. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He loved his enemies. He was kind towards his enemies. And that's what the good uh, the, the Samaritan is about. But what I was talking about last time is the, uh, the question that didn't get asked was uh, very glaring, and that's, who is the Lord my God? Have I loved him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? See, he was a lawyer. He was a religious man in Judaism. And they had a set list of things that if they do this, then they're born again. He can't be born again by the things you do. But he thought he was right with God based on how he has loved God. Very self-righteous. I think we tend to do that. We have a set of things that we do. It's like go to church, maybe give something, maybe uh, pray with somebody, maybe share a, a devotion, share the gospel maybe once every 10 years. And when we check off our list, we don't do anything else. So we're not motivated by grace. We're motivated by self-righteousness, making ourselves feel righteous based on what we do. Even if we don't believe in the doctrine of righteousness through works. I think it is in every single one of us to be lazy because of self-righteousness. The antidote to self-righteousness is walking in the righteousness of Christ as opposed to our self-perceived list or righteousness. And then thirdly, getting over our condemnation. We talked about those three things. I probably went too much time on them. I want to talk to you about a few things, contemporary issues that have invaded and enveloped the church today. Four of them, two very brief and two a little bit more at length. Number one is pluralism. Number two is um, relativism. Number three is materialism. And number four is humanism. Now, when I say enveloped and invaded the church, this is in the church. This is a part of the flesh. This is a part of the uh, not walking with Christ when these things are in us. As I mentioned before, missions is not the consensus of the American church today. It is not the consensus. Not, not in the same way that Judeo-Christian ethics is not the consensus of the American government anymore. 
Uh, I, we are not living in a Christian nation. and it, 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 I don't think it's a consensus anymore. And these things have crept into the church not because they float in the air and land on the walls of our sanctuaries. They have come into the church because we have walked in the church this morning. So let me get through them quickly. I do want to talk about Africa today and missions. But pluralism, real quick, it's just a belief that all religions are equally valid to one another. All religions are equally valid. And I think we need to become less pluralistic in how we talk to people. I think pluralism can creep in. You can say intellectually, even on your mouth, Christian is the true faith, but how we talk to unbelievers can testify how pluralistic we are in our attempt to be tactful or loving. Let me give you an example. When we're sharing the gospel with friends, family, and colleagues, which needs to be a constant thing, it's non-negotiable. If you're not doing it, I thought I would say it nicely. Let me just say you're in sin. You're wrong. Bad. It's not good not to share Christ. I'm going to jump ahead and just share a scripture that, that convicted me deeply a few months ago because I used to share Christ all the time. It is, the Bible says to, in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors of Christ. It's as if though God is persuading men through us that he who knew no sin might become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God him. Have you ever wondered what is God thinking right now? Well, the Bible tells us. The Holy Spirit is in us saying, go share Christ with people. That's what he's thinking right now. He's screaming out for the lack of better words, go share Christ with the world. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is thinking right now, that's what he's thinking. It's as if God is persuading men through us about the righteousness of Christ. And so pluralism, you can go up to somebody, this is a pluralistic statement. Say you're talking to a Muslim. Say, so, well, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That's a pluralistic statement. Do you know why? Because the Bible is the Word of God whether you believe it or not. So we need to even change the type. I'm not saying we have to be rude or untactful or unloving, but nevertheless be authoritative and confident in the Scriptures and in the revealed truth that we possess today. We don't need to be shy about it. The Bible is the Word of God, and you need to understand God has revealed himself to you, and, 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 and Allah is not God. Now, there is all kinds of training that can happen in and, and doing that, but we need to be way less timid and way less pluralistic in our thinking. The antidote to pluralism is twofold. I mean, there could be many things, but twofold I'll give you. Number one, an expositional church needs to be more prevalent in our society today. Expositional churches. Churches that teach through the whole counsel of God. Number two, and more importantly, and I could give ten, I'm just, I, I need to get through. Number two is an expositional lifestyle. What is an expositional lifestyle? An expositional lifestyle is somebody who grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
And they apply that in obedience to their everyday life. That's an expositional lifestyle. See, you can go to an expositional church, a wonderful church like New City, and this is a wonderful church, and not obey what you're being taught expositionally. And if you're not doing that, then you're living a very pluralistic life as if, not saying with your mouth, but the way you live actually is testifying that all other worldviews and all other religions are equally valid to the true living God, Jesus Christ. And they're not. I will not be intimidated by the world's beliefs because I serve the true and living God who is absolute truth and he is the one savior and I'm not going to be shy about it and I'm going to testify it to the whole world. The antidote to pluralism is an expositional lifestyle and an expositional church, more expositional churches in our communities around the world. Secondly is uh, relativism. Relativism is similar to pluralism that there's no absolute truths, but as relativism has kind of changed in our society, it's more God, I love Jesus even though I am living in sin. My will be done and he's okay with that. It's, it's those people in churches who go to church and they feel uh, uh, very good about their lifestyle. They're deceived, but they live with their boyfriend, they live with their girlfriend, they're in a sexual, immoral relationship or another myriad of examples. And they still think, they've created a God in their own mind and they may call him Jesus if they're in a Christian church and they say, he still loves, he still loves me. I love him. I pray to him every day. I read my Bible. I go to church. But they live a very relativistic lifestyle. They're in disobedience. They've exalted their own will above the knowledge of God and the will of the Father. The antidote to relativism is obedience to God's will. Loving his will above your own. Do you know in Matthew chapter 7, the Bible when Jesus, is, is he says, when people are saying to him, Lord, Lord, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do many miracles? Did we not prophesy in your name? Guys, Muslims don't call Jesus Lord, Lord. Hindus don't call Jesus Lord, Lord. It's those in the church who believe Jesus Christ is the Lord. So we're not talking about that group of unbelievers. We're talking about those who've been in church who call Jesus Lord who are unsaved. What does he say to them? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, isn't that such a paradox? We don't go to heaven by good works, but we are identified by good works. We are identified by um, our obedience. I mean, have you ever been to a funeral and you just can't confidently say, this guy's in heaven? You just don't know. He really didn't do much for the Lord. I mean, there's no question that if Pastor Joel, and especially if Pastor Callie, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a joke. We don't believe that stuff. 
There's no question that if Callie dies, where she's going to be. But sometimes we have those family members that pass away, unfortunately, and we're like, man, I just, I don't feel right saying they're in heaven. Because they don't surrender to the will of Christ. What is the antidote to relativism? Obedience to the revealed will of God. It must be crept out of our heart. We must repent. We have to. Now, I, I, I must move on to, to materialism. And I want to spend a little more time on this. The West is unbearably affluent compared to the third world. Listen, I understand we need to save kids in America. I understand that there's terrible things happening. These kids in Africa will die in a matter of months because they have no food. It's rough. Materialism is a preoccupation with material things until it suffocates the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. That's what materialism is for the Christian. Now, don't think rich people are the materialist and poor people are not. In fact, I must say that more so than not, those who have less money, in my experience, are way more materialistic than those who have a lot of money. Materialism isn't that you are constantly buying the new things. It's you're constantly stressed out about the things you currently have. It's also a materialistic way of living. It's a preoccupation with material things until it suffocates the Holy Spirit leading in your life. Just drained by the mortgage, drained by the cell phone bills, drained by the car payments, working and working and working to stay on top of it. I'm not saying we don't work, but those things that consume our mind over the knowledge of Christ, it is no doubt materialistic to be that way. Now, I don't want to preach asceticism. Asceticism is a belief that all material things are evil. That's not it. That's fine to have a nice house. It's fine to bless your family. It's okay to go through a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, so don't start feeling bad because you have nice things. I don't want that. But if those things consume your thoughts over and above meditating on God's will and His Word... That's materialistic. That's wicked. That's not good. Everything that you own exists to glorify Jesus Christ. Yes, if you have an iPhone, what is the, what's the latest? A 14? Is that, a, is that the latest? I don't know, really. If you have one, God bless you. You better be glorifying Christ with it. Maybe we reduce the cat videos on YouTube and start listening to more teachings to equip yourself in the Word of God. Could you imagine if aliens looked down to, uh, to conquer us? It would be e we'd be easy, easily conquerable if there was such a thing. Just based on what we watch on YouTube, they know that we're not doing what's right. Cat, I'm not kidding you. What preoccupies your cell phone, that's to glorify God. Your house is to glorify God. Your cars are to glorify God. But those things aren't meant to consume your minds. 
Matthew 6.19 says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed away from their faith in their greediness. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. These things, material things, clothing and food and, and, and all these raiment. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Did you hear about the man who once while walking down the road found $5 on the sidewalk? He then decided to always walk down the road with his head down and his eyes on the street. In the course of all of his years, he accumulated 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pins, 12 cents, a bent back and a miserable disposition. What did he lose? The smiles on the faces of his family and friends? Couldn't see the beauty of starlight and moonlight and the blossoms of spring and so much more. Materialism always takes more from you than it gives to you. Joy comes in Christ. Not in the things we possess. You guys have all experienced that, haven't you? You want something so bad, you just want it. And you finally get it. And you're like, eh. <laughs> and, and that excitement's gone. And you, there's actually a sense of unfulfillment. I didn't plan on sharing this, but years ago after our facility, we met in our new building to, that we had built. It was a very exciting Sunday. And we, I walked out of the worship team room because I don't, um, I don't associate with our members. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got a sick sense of humor. Just, I, I walked out of the worship team room and looked, and there was about 400 people there. We we had about 200 people coming to the church already, maybe 150, 200. And we did the service. It was exciting. I preached in Matthew 7. People got saved. I went home. And all that I had desired had, uh, for our church had been coming true. A building, staff, a lot of people, really good music. It's, isn't that pathetic? All good things. There's nothing wrong with that. And I felt so unfulfilled, so empty on the inside that I went home and I had never had a darker moment than that up in my whole life and I had a terrible abusive father isn't that crazy and I started praying Lord what's going on he says your my portion your portion is me not that church because it's just going to leave you unfulfilled church is the body of Christ it's awesome don't hear me wrong 
But Christ is our portion. He is our contentment. He is our joy. He is the glory of the universe. Man, I'm so happy that three people like that. Psalm 121, instead of the guy looking down for money, the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What is the cure to materialism? Three things. Simplicity in living. Hold loosely to the things you own. It's fine if you own things. God bless you if you do. Hold loosely to them. Can you sell your house at the drop of the hat for the will of God? You should be ready to do that if he calls you to. Number two antidote to materialism is contentment. Be content with what you have. If you are able to get something more for the glory of God, do it for the glory of God and not for your comforts. Be content with what you have. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, uh, the antidote to materialism is generosity, giving giving of your time, giving of your money. I can tell you right now, I, I don't have to talk to every one of you. If each one of you came in with a printed bank statement on what you spend your money on, I would need to know, I, I would have to know about everything I need to know about you. What you like to eat, where you like to spend your time, whom you love, what you love. Just give me your bank statement. I'll know all of those things. Man, this person really likes coffee. I mean, one, two cups a day, I get it. But 18? <laughs> I could say more about it. I'm not. Have you ever considered Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I returned. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you ever considered that life is a pilgrimage between two points of nakedness? You're born with nothing, you leave with nothing materially. The antidote to materialism is simplicity, contentment, and generosity. The Bible teaches that in the scriptures that I had read, and there's much more. Fourthly, and I don't have time for this, but humanism. Humanism is a philosophical statement that all meaning in life is for the happiness of mankind, humanism. So Christian, there's many different forms of humanism. You have existential humanism, secular humanism, all kinds. But the most dangerous for the church, it is so prevalent in the Western world, uh, everywhere, is Christian humanism, and that is using Christ for your own personal gain, for your own happiness. He isn't the end of all meaning, but you use him to provide for your own happiness. Christianity is a belief that Christ is the end of all meaning of our lives. To him be the glory. To him be the, the joy. It's just everything is about Christ. We are so incredibly humanistic. Lord, bless me. Lord, help me. That's fine. He cares for us. He will help. But blessing and help from God is never a bind product. It never binds us to God. It is a byproduct of a relationship with Him. And even if you find yourself in prison and in chains, He still is worthy to be praised. 
And I'm afraid that so many in the church today might not be praising him so much when they're having shackles on their arms and legs. I, I, I have to move on. The antidote to humanism is loving the beauty of Christ. Loving the beauty of Christ. Loving him. So you have an expositional church and lifestyle to counteract pluralism. You have obedience to God's will to counteract relativism. You have generosity, simplicity, and contentment to counteract materialism. And you have love, loving Christ to counteract humanism. Loving Christ above yourself. Three things real quick, and then I'll talk about Africa. Three things that we must do. Consider this call in Matthew 28. God creates man. Man disobeys God. They die in the Garden of Eden, both spiritually and they will die eventually physically. They discover they're naked, but God has a plan for redemption. Nobody can, can, can destroy the plan of God. So he chooses Abraham. He preserves Moses. He anoints David. Christ is born. John Stott said there's nothing as fantastic and fiction as the incarnation of Christ. He's kind to women and children, which is not part of a shame and honor third world culture. He teaches them. He provides for them food. He's generous to the poor. And ultimately, and more importantly, he dies on the cross. He's raised from the dead through the power of the triune Godhead. And he says this. This is the climax of all redemptive history up to this point. There will only be one other when Christ rules and reigns physically or um, um, in his second coming. Guys, this is it. This is our marching orders. All authority has been given to him. He's boss, and this is what he told us what to do. And I just want to give you three quick things on how you can participate in that. First and foremost, prayer. There was something transcendent so filled with Christ's prayer life that in Luke chapter 11, when he was done praying, his disciples asked us, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to heal, teach us how to teach, teach us how to preach, but teach us how to pray. You practically in prayer need to write down missionaries, your pastor, your family. Become a part of the Great Commission in intercessory prayer. Number two, send. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Send. Send your prayers. Send your money. Send your efforts. Send your time. By the way, I would love it if people were uh, approved and sent by the pastors on short-term missions or long-term missions to Africa. Maybe the Lord would have you do that. Josh Whitney took my scripture earlier. It belongs to me, not him. <laughs> but in Philippians 4, check this out. Even in Thessalonica, you've sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
and I have received full payment, and more, I am well supplied. Do you know what Paul's saying? And, and, and probably Paul, I hope, I hope my heart is laid bare enough to where you could believe me saying something like this. But Paul is essentially saying, I'm more happy for you that you're giving me your money than I am happy for me that I get your money. It's like, if you guys go back to the table and hand some money, it's like, I'm happy for you. That's essentially what Paul is saying here in Philippians. Why? Because Paul has an eternal perspective and he knows when people are giving to gospel efforts that they have an account in heaven that they collect upon and getting rewards for the things they've done here on earth that they get to worship Jesus with at the Bema Seat Judgment. This is a Bema Seat Judgment Doctrine going on here. I know there's account in heaven and those who give for these church plants, those who participate in this financially, have and will receive their reward. Guys, this is the most sure investment. You ever, anybody invested in Bitcoin? I wish I would have caught that 20 years ago. It wasn't sure. How can you know? This is a sure investment. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I did a word study on helping the poor. Oh my, so many scriptures on it. We must send. Listen, I, I was not told to say this, but I will say this because I think it's so important. If you don't worship God with your money, you're wrong. If you're not giving a glorifying percentage of your income to your local church first and foremost, you're wrong. And you are missing out on worshiping God. I mean, can you imagine? We're sitting here singing our songs. One of those songs that we often will sing is that old hymn, I Surrender All. And we'll sing it. I surrender all. And you walk away and you've surrendered nothing. It's more on the, the lips than it is in the heart and then in the feet as you give through your actions. You do through your actions. How beautiful are the feet of those who participate in the Great Commission. And thirdly, go. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors of God. It's as if God is persuading men through us that he who knew no sin might become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Guys, you have to pray. You have to sin. You have to go. Go into your workplace. Go into your family's lives. Make efforts. They're, they're, they're starting a basketball. You guys are starting to play basketball. Ba the game of basketball was invented by a couple Christian men who wanted more men to share the gospel with. That's what it's all about. Go. We have to get this pluralistic, materialistic, relativistic, humanistic flesh pushed out by the power of God and start participating in the highest calling and the highest command we've ever been given, and that is the Great Commission.
through the church, by the way. Listen, I have a few minutes. Let me share about Africa. I moved there in 2010 with my wife, Kelsey. She was two months pregnant. Um, we were four months married. And we planted a church. We have seen the power of the gospel. I could tell you stories, guys. Listen, I could have sat up here and told you stories all day that would have really moved your heart, showed you videos. I just thought we needed to hear some scripture first. Man, we've been through a lot. It's been awesome. You know, above anything, I've seen the power of God's word, the power of the gospel. We have seen in the last four or five years, and please hear my heart, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, we have seen over 800 people get born again and are being discipled in our church. <laughs> Baptized. It's powerful. We just got to get it out there. How will they know if we're not sent? How will we know? Do you know when we're talking about sin, Jesus said over and over, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me, the Father has sent me. And then he says, after the resurrection, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we went because we were sent by the Great Commission, by Matthew 28. But something happened in our hearts. We noticed that there has been a major shift in world missions since the Reformation that, was, that birthed so many awesome movements around the world. The Reformation birthed, truly, a, a revival hit the world and missions started happening everywhere. But missions were not done without the church. Nowadays, it is very unique for people to be church-oriented in all of their humanitarian efforts around the world. Me and my wife started visiting children's homes. Children's home after children's home after children's home. And the majority of these children's homes, and I'm talking probably more than 80%. I don't know what the world statistic is, but the, at least in Kenya, these kids don't go to church. Now, I understand kids need to be saved in America, but guys... I can go down the road and find kids who do not have food in their bellies. Their insides are beginning to be eaten or their organs are beginning to be eaten because they don't have food. It broke our hearts. But more so, it broke our hearts that they're not being discipled. They're not being taken to the local church. So I was just, I've been upset about it for years. And the Lord put it on our hearts to start Great Commission Ministries, a missions organization that, yes, is going to help people with food. It's going to help people with homes. It's going to help people with clothing. But those people are going to hear the gospel, be born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be discipled in our local church plants. That's what Great Commission Ministries is all about. We are commencing this summer on building. We will break ground. And we're going to do clusters of kids' homes, no more than eight kids in each home with house parents so that they can have individual attention. And we're going to build many of those throughout Africa.
Because rather than complain about the condition of world missions and the lack of church-oriented missions organization, we started one that could be an example to the rest of Christendom and the world saying this is what a missions organization should look like, one that is church-oriented that still wants to help people. It's not either or. It's both and. Jesus didn't say, I'm never going to give to the poor again because you're, you're all selfish. He said, listen... Feeding you without understanding the cross is going to do you no good. But he still fed them. And he still shared the cross with them. I, 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 could, I could share stories. I want to end, but I, I need to tell you guys, it is a desperate situation in Africa, and we need your help. I, 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 we need your help. I am here... And my heart is bleeding because I'm not there and I miss my congregation. But I am here because I love them. They can't give to these efforts. They don't have anything to give. But you can. We spend more than $50 a month at gas stations and coffee houses. That's fine. Keep doing it. But be generous first. Send some of your finances after you've already been obedient to, your, to God to give to your local church. Your first responsibility is here if you're a member. But guys, most of us have extra. 50 bucks extra to support this children's home. We're looking today for those who can commit to a monthly gift to see that these children's home were built as soon as possible so we can save kids from off the streets and put them in these homes and take them to church. We need your help. Listen, most of us don't think twice. Most of us don't think twice about going to Dunkin' or Starbucks or the gas station or to a restaurant. And, and we get a lot of people at churches like, yeah, I got to go think about this. Maybe you want to look us up, see if you can trust us. We do have a website. All the information's there. But I want to say, your pastor trusts us. Or we would not be here. And your pastor and the pastors of this church take very seriously the commands of God. We hope to join with you in a matter of six months with the faces of the kids that we're going to rescue. Right here at this church so that we can join in and say not only were they rescued physically, not only do they have food in their belly and they're not emaciated, but they've been born again through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit saving them. So guys, pick up a card, fill out a form. We'll be in contact with you all the time, telling you about what's going on, tell you about what's progressing. And above all, Pray, send, and go, for that is the command of the one who holds the authority, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 28. God bless you. Let me pray for you as we continue with communion. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you that this church is already a praying church. It is already a sending church. And it is already a church that goes into the world, becoming fishers of men, storming the gates of hell, and the gates of hell have no chance against the church. They just don't have enough power. 
They're no match for the power of our Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would raise up a team of warriors that would do this, that would pray, that would sin, that would go. Even as much as they are focused here, and that's amazing because they're called to, but they could even pray, send, and go throughout the whole world, right into Africa. Send us, O oh Lord, to save these kids through the army that you're raising up in New City and churches all around the country to be a part of your great commission and your ministry, Lord. We ask you, bless this church. We ask you, pour out your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.